It's time for mystery. Mystery Radio X X X Somewhere in the cold, persistent rain that made the city itself seem a thing of evil, a girl had disappeared, and it was my job to find her. But before I did, I found death and a devil. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character as CBS presents... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. And now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story... The Black Halo. For three days, an ugly storm had lashed at the west coast from northern Oregon to the tip of lower California. And although it was only noon when I drove up to the sprawling red brick house just south of Santa Barbara to meet a new client of mine... The black that was in the sky and the driving rain that was everywhere left the day bleak and wet and cold. Left it the kind of day that made you feel that logs blazing in a fireplace and a warm, dry robe were the only things that could matter to anyone. But when I got inside the house, Felix Drum, 350 uncomfortable pounds of executive in a wheelchair, who made his living importing perfumes, was very worried. And not about the weather outside. Hello? Julia Perry is gone. I want you to find her and bring her back. And the sooner you do that, the better. And the more I know, Mr. Drum, the easier it'll be. Exactly who is Julia Perry? My assistant. Very capable girl. Who in the past six months has practically taken over my entire business. She handles most of the work from her cottage here on the grounds where she lives. Mm -hmm. She also has some little cubbyhole in Los Angeles where she keeps her files and some sample stock. Do you have the address of that cubbyhole? If I knew the answer to everything, I wouldn't have hired you. And anyway, it isn't important. Uh, uh, hand me that little bottle. This one? Please. Yes. No, here. Thank you. Ah... <coughs> <coughs> uh, When did you last see Julia, Mr. Drum? Three days ago. Oh. <coughs> it was three days ago, when she left on one of her regular weekly trips down to Los Angeles to bid on perfumes. Usually she stayed away overnight, but the Beachwood Plaza Hotel most of the time, and she was back here by noon the next day. I suppose you've already checked the Beachwood Plaza, huh? Yes, of course. My man Ruby, the one who showed you in, has called the place a dozen times. But they only know that Julia registered there three days ago and hasn't been seen since. Well, what about the girl herself, Mr. Drum? I mean, her background, friends, family, that sort of thing. Yeah, as far as I know, Marlowe, Julia has no friends, no family either. She's just a sweet but smart little girl from someplace in Kansas. Mm -hmm. No bows, not even nice ones, huh? I don't think she had the time. You see, when Julia first came to work for me, she wanted to get ahead, and I gave her the chance. She made good. Mm-hmm. Today, she's as much my right arm as Ruby is my leg. Mr. Drum, did you notice anything unusual about Julia's behavior lately? Yes, and that's the reason I'm worried. About two weeks ago, I saw changes in the girl, Marlowe. She seemed less spry, more preoccupied. Oh? Yes. I figured it was overwork myself, since the end of the year always means detailed annual reports. So I made no comment at the time. I see. Tell me, Mr. Drum, what does she look like? 
Well, I have no pictures, but she's a blonde of medium height and was wearing a plaid raincoat and little circle of a hat when she left. Uh-huh. Altogether, she's sweet and simple, if that's what you mean. Yeah. Do you mind if I stop in at a cottage on my way out? Um, Marlowe, you turn the place inside out if it'll help any. Only since I'm certain that Julia's in some kind of bad trouble, you be quick and find her. Julia Perry's cottage was strictly the 50-50 arrangement that Drummond mentioned, with one room office and the other living quarters. In the office, I found everything in its proper place, so I moved to the other room. The moment I stepped over the threshold, the white fluff that trimmed the quilted bedspread and the splash of color in the drapes said that Julia Perry had to be something soft and warm. And the half a dozen quietly tailored suits that were lined up in the closet like, like a squad of soldiers facing right told me that she was also simple and neat. I ran through the pockets of her clothes and all the drawers and closets in the room, trying to find something that would give me a lead that I was sure I had to have. But after 20 minutes, I'd found only a leather cigarette case, a package of peppermint lifesavers, and a maroon and gold monogram book of matches, the cover of which was half torn off so that I could only be certain that the middle initial was a V and that an E or an F were on either end. But since the name and address of an L.A. novelty company was on the inside, I bought the matches as a starting point. Dropped them into my pocket and headed for the door. When I opened it, I was surprised to find Ruby, Drum's right-hand man, purple scar and all, standing in the rain. He was staring at me like my ears were spinning. You seem to be a very thorough man, Mr. Private Detective. And you seem to be a very nosy one. What do you want? Help Julia, nothing else. There's a postcard that came for her this morning. It was mailed in L.A. yesterday. Yeah? Dear Julia... Tried to reach you at Santa Barbara 1181, both yesterday and today, but got no answer. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving town tomorrow. As one little girl who fled life in Haven, Kansas, to another, I would have enjoyed seeing you again. For a bit before I moved on to who knows where. And Santa Barbara 1181, is that the number here? Yeah. It's Julia's private business phone. Well... What do you think? The postcard any help? Possibly. Tell me, Ruby, why didn't you show this to Mr. Drum? I forgot about it until just now. You're a liar. Well, it's on account of the postcard was delivered here to the cottage. Which is no man's land for you? Yeah, sort of. Mr. Drum doesn't like people who work for him mixing socially with each other. Well, maybe a sweet kid like Julia hasn't got any use for the passes you've been making at her, huh? Hold it. I like Julia, and even if she don't go for me, anything I can do to help her, I still do, understand? Yeah, I understand. I'm not so sure I believe. Goodbye, Ruby. It was pushing five o'clock and still raining by the time I got back to L.A. and over to the novelty company. Once there, I presented the torn book of matches that I had found at Julia's cottage to a bald man with horizontal question marks for eyebrows, and who, at the crinkle of a five-dollar bill, tore himself away from his racing form long enough to check the files for a set of maroon and gold initials that had a V in the middle. And it was six o'clock before I had the answer, which was E-V-E. They weren't initials, but the front name of Mrs. Eve Bentley, who lived in a villa at the Swank Sunset Terrace Apartments. And according to the gentleman who said he knew his oats, was a very classy filly. An hour later, I was at Mrs. Bentley's front door, and while I made with the chimes and waited, I wondered just how much a guy who loves the ponies could know about women. But when the door opened, I had my answer. Yes? What is it? 
Mrs. Eve Bentley wasn't beautiful, but she was everything else. Including a shimmering yard of gold hair piled high on her head and held in place by a knot of pearls that no Boy Scout ever tied. Her face was wide blue eyes and open red lips on a backdrop of soft, fair skin. She wore a black silk jersey dress that must have been sprayed on. She smiled when I said my name was Philip Marlowe and that I wanted to talk. Talk about what, Mr. Marlowe? Julia Perry. Ever hear of her? No, I haven't. Hmm. So I'll try again. What do you know about Ann somebody from Haven, Kansas? Absolutely nothing. This uh, torn book of matches says otherwise. I found them in Julia Perry's cottage. Julia Perry's missing. I'm a private detective who was hired to find her, and the matches turned out to be yours. How may I come in? Why, why yes. Thanks. Well, Mrs. Bentley, maybe we ought to start all over. No, I... wait just a minute, Mr. Marlowe. Mm-hmm. I may be able to help you. Did this uh, uh, Julia Perry deal in perfumes? That's right. Now, how did you know that? Because I just remembered something. And now I'm sure I can explain why my matches showed up where they Just a minute, just a minute. You know, whenever I'm talking to a beautiful woman, somebody's always creeping around in the kitchen. Who is it this time? Oh, really, Mr. Marlowe? There's a storm outside and there are windows and trees. You put those three things together, that noise could have been a branch scratching on a glass pane. Or somebody with squeaky shoes and a lot of curiosity. Somebody like Mr. Bentley, for instance. Oh, I doubt that, Mr. Marlowe. You see, Mr. Bentley's been dead now for three long years. Oh, yes. Well, you were saying something about the matches. Oh, yes. This, uh, uh, Julia Perry must somehow have rather gotten hold of him through my fiancé, Marvin Whitaker. How does that figure? Like two and two. Marvin is in the perfume business. Ditto Julia. Also, I think he mentioned her name once. Said she was... Very clever for a girl who looked like somebody's kid sister. That fits all right. Where will I find said fiancé? At his favorite bar and grill. But won't you have a drink first, Mr. Marlowe? No, thanks, Eve. There, there isn't time. <clears throat> now the bar and grill. The blue boar. Blue which? Boar, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah. It's a very English spot over on Wilshire, opposite Arthur Murray's studio. But uh, before you dash... Do you at least have a match? Yeah. Whole book of them, honey. Torn cover and all. And I want you to keep them. After all, they brought us together, didn't they? When I got outside, I postponed my run between the raindrops over to Wilshire Boulevard long enough to take a look behind the villa. And there, in a newly planted strip of clover lawn below Mrs. Bentley's kitchen window... I found something which was no surprise. Two clear prints of a man's shoe. But from there on out, I got nothing more than a lot of rain down the back of my neck. So ten minutes later, I dripped into my car and headed for the Blue Boar and Eve Bentley's gentleman friend. I located Marvin Whitaker, a handsome, hale fellow well met, in a white turtleneck sweater and wiring breeches. Behind a hot rum toddy in a corner booth that was pictures of steeplechase mounts against newly antique mahogany. And when I told him that I was looking for Julia Perry, he flashed a lot of glistening teeth at me, insisted that I join him in a warming glass of spirits, and started to talk, gesturing all the time with a riding crop. Why, yes, old man, I know Julia Perry. In fact, almost did some business with her today. 
You mean you were supposed to meet Julia someplace? That's right. At 1881 Selma Avenue, to be precise. But she called me this morning and postponed the whole transaction. Indefinitely. Could you stop projecting long enough to tell me why? She didn't say. Of course, it's of no bother to me on a day like this. No sane man should be any farther away from a toddy than we are right now. So drink up, old boy. It'll do you a world of good. Yeah, yeah, I bet it will. Look, Mr. Whitaker, one more question. Did Julia ever speak of a girlfriend named Ann? Someone she knew years ago in Kansas? No, I don't believe she did, Marlowe. Matter of fact, Julia never talked of anything but perfumes. Now drink your drink, fellow, before it's chilled through. Thanks, but no thanks, old bean. I do have to run, really. It was a 20-minute drive to the address on Selma, and the rain had stopped by the time I got there. The place was one of those once-upon-a-time rooming houses that had been partitioned off into a couple of dozen two-by-four cubbyholes just big enough for the very small businessman to fill his fountain pen in. When I got to the door and asked the scrub woman, who was a lot of wild red hair around two pop eyes for Julia Perry, I knew I was moving in the right direction because the lady standing in front of me was anything but calm. And more important, she had just heard a pistol shot from the back of the house. Yes, that's right. A pistol shot not over two minutes ago. I'm sure that Perry girl had something to do with it. Because when I come from inside, I saw her rush out down these steps. Did she say anything? I don't know. She was gone out of sight before I could open my mouth. Hmm. But I know it was her on account of that plaid coat and little hat she wears. Yeah, yeah. Now, which room is hers? Come on. Well, that one there with the light showing under the door. Mm-hmm. But it's locked. You won't be able to get in. I just tried. Well, we'll try again for luck. It's not the best lumber. Believe me. This is terrible. Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. I... It's a man. Yeah. A dead one at that, Granny. Do you know who it is? Uh-huh. From the mud and clover grass on the bottom of his shoes, I tag him as a guy who was looking in a lady's kitchen window about an hour ago. But from that purple scar on his chin, I can do even better than that. The name Granny is Ruby, a guy I thought was still in Santa Barbara. <laughs> just a moment, we will return to the second act of the adventures of Philip Marlowe. But first, given clues, even the newest of Philip Marlowe fans can deduce the characters in CBS's great new early Sunday evening comedy lineup. The washboard leads you to the one and only Spike Jones. The bumblebee? Well, of course, that's for America's most famous non-virtuoso violinist, Jack Benny, who follows Spike Jones on CBS. The two A's, Amos and Andy, who are heard on CBS immediately following Jack Benny. So it's really no mystery at all why millions of Americans now stay tuned to CBS on Sunday nights for these three superb comedy shows in succession. Spike Jones and Amos and Andy over most of these same CBS stations, and Jack Benny over them all. And now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Black Halo. Ruby's body sprawled on the floor, and the girl in the plaid raincoat running away from it meant one thing. Julia Perry's trouble was important, like life, but more like death. A half-sneer was congealed on Ruby's face, and his eyes turned waxy, still held a look of mild surprise. I wasted some breath telling the scrubwoman not to touch anything, and then I put in a call to my overweight client in Santa Barbara. He was glad to hear from me, at first. Oh, well, now, 
soon. You sure work fast, don't you, lad? Have you found her? Have you located Julia? Not quite. She's about five minutes ahead of me. Incidentally, Mr. Drum, she works fast, too. What do you mean by that? Let me ask the questions, huh? Number one, what was your leg man, Ruby, doing in L.A. tonight? Uh, Ruby? Yeah. Why, I, I sent him in to pick up some medicine for me. Why? Come on, Drum, you can talk straighter than that and you're better. I just found Ruby dead. Dead? Ruby's dead? Uh, what happened to him, Marlowe? He was shot. So forget the gags and tell me why he was snooping around. All right. I didn't trust you. No. It's my policy to trust nobody until he proves himself. I sent Ruby in to follow you and check on your progress. That was brilliant. You only made three mistakes. First, I don't need to be checked on. Second, you got your man killed. And third, you forced Julia's hand. Because it was Miss Perry herself who pulled the trigger on Ruby. Julia? I... Marlowe, I don't believe that. Which proves nothing, Mr. Drum, but skip it. Tell me, do you know a man named Marvin Whitaker? Whitaker? Yeah. Oh, should I? Well, he says he's in the perfume business. Well, I know everybody on the coast who bought more than two bottles of perfume at one time in the last 40 years, and I don't recall that name. I, I think the man must be a liar. So do I. Thanks for the help. And, Drum, if you've got any more expendable flunkies around, keep them out of my hair. I'll call you when I've got something. called Homicide next and told Detective Lieutenant Ibarra where to find the body and who was responsible for it being in that dead condition. When the question of why came up, I admitted I was still shooting blanks. Oh, I told him about the razzle-dazzle Whitaker had handed me and named the Blue Boar on Wilshire as my next stop. Ibarra said he'd call me there, and when I got to the entrance of the place, I saw Whitaker, draped in a trench coat that involved enough cloth to rig a four-masted schooner, standing in the anteroom, impatiently smacking his leg with that riding crop. <laughs> He looked positively dashing. Question was, which way? Hiya there, Marlowe. Hey, old boy, you look upset. Anything wrong? I may be upset, Whitaker, but you're the one that's going to spill. First, are you leaving or coming back? I'm just leaving. Been here all the time since I talked to you? That's right. You see, my coat is perfectly dry. It stopped raining half an hour ago. <laughs> well, well, you see, if I'd been outside, I would have known that. But why this third degree, Marlowe? What's up? It's a long story. Maybe we better sit down and talk it all over from the beginning. Oh, I'm afraid I can't. Not just now. I, uh, I've got a date. She'll keep. Uh, not this one. It's something, um, something rather special. Special, huh? Like Eve Bentley? Now, look here, old boy. You're prying into my personal affairs. Whitaker, I'll rip the lid clear off your personal affairs if necessary to get a clean answer out of you. Now, what do you really know about Julia Perry? I told you once. Are you implying that I'm a liar? At least that. For instance, who puts out a mirror? Come on, Whitaker, it's a well-known fragrance. Why, uh, I, uh, I don't recall offhand. That's strange, because any woman knows Amir's a Dana perfume. Just what are you trying to prove by all this? That is a perfume dealer you stink. And try this for size. When I got to that address you gave me, I found a fresh corpse there with a bullet hole in it. A murder? Yeah, and your routine was pat, brother. So before homicide starts combing out the snags in your story, you better untangle it yourself right now. You lied to me. Why'd you do it, Whitaker? Why the double tower? All right, Marlowe, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this! Oh! It was as quick as a wounded cat. The riding crop slashed across my face even before I'd realized it moved. And by the time the red light stopped dancing in my eyes, Marvin Whitaker was gone. I turned as the head waiter walked up to me. He studied the hot red welt rising on my face for a moment and then murmured discreetly that if my name was Marlowe, I was wanted on the phone. It was Lieutenant Ibarra. Marlowe, you can stop beating the brush for Julia Perry. We found her. You did? Where is she, Ibarra? She 
He's out in the alley here, behind the Beechwood Plaza Hotel, Marlowe. Exactly eight floors down from the window of her room. She fell through the glass roof above the rear entrance. Oh. It's not pretty. Oh. She explained the whole thing, including that Ruby guy's murder in a note we found in her room. I'll, I'll be right over, Ibar. Okay, don't hurry. story, Marlowe, and Drum finally got around to trusting her. He practically gave her his business. It was too much temptation. Mm -hmm. She'd been stealing from him in a big way for almost a year, her note says. Then she decided to run for it when she knew she couldn't hide the thefts any longer, huh? That's right. That ruby caught on some way and she killed him, but I guess murder was too rich for her blood, so she came back here, thought it over, and, and checked out. Yeah. All she left behind was a little plaid raincoat and a purse over there. Hey, she was wearing a dinky hat, too, Ebar. Did you find that? Mm-hmm. Come over here to the window, Phil. See, down there on that canopy, that little black circle, mm -hmm. that's her hat. I sent Mooney down to get it. Can't leave any loose ends around, you know? Yeah. That a light, Lieutenant? Oh, sure. Here you are. Thanks. Hey, what happened to you? That welt on your face, Phil. Oh, I backed that horsey liar named Whitaker into a corner, and he slapped his way out with a riding crop. And speaking of loose ends, if I ever catch up with that... Hmm? Ibarra, where did that stuff on the dresser come from? Well, this out of the pockets of Judah's plaid coat. Why? But that's impossible unless... Holy smoke. That's why Whitaker lied to me. Hey, where are you going with that, Phil? Come back here. I got to check on something, Ibarra, and keep your notebook handy. If I'm right, this deal is still wide open. away from the suicide's room in the Beechwood Plaza, out to the widow's villa in the Sunset Terrace, my mind juggled a jumble of facts trying to beat them into a brand new pattern. A pattern that had to include an object Ibarra had found in the pocket of that plaid raincoat. It almost made sense, but I needed just a little more. Well, when I turned into the parking lot at the Sunset Terrace, rain began to fall again. Thin, cold rain. I walked to Eve Bentley's door and pressed the bell. Just as I expected, it was Marvin Whitaker, unsmiling and nervous, who answered the door. I didn't give him a chance to think. I just swung hard. Okay, horseman, that squares us up. Come on, heavy, roll over. Let's see if you're carrying a gun. Okay, no gun. Now, be a good boy, Whitaker, and you'll make out all right. But one funny wiggle out of you and I'll crack your skull. It's a promise. Do you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I heard you. All right. Now, where's Eve? Is she here? Yeah. Find out for yourself, Marlowe. I'm through. Fair enough. But just so I'm not talking through my head, I'll take a look in her closet first. She won't be in there, I guarantee. No, but her future may be. Well, let's see. It's got to be in here someplace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is probably it. Brown cloth coat, as chic as a pair of hobnailed boots, and still damp. And the label says the BH Company, Haven, Kansas. That does it. I've got it all now, and my chivalry just died. Where is she, Whitaker? Where's Eve? Right here, Marlowe. Uh-oh, don't try that. I guess you really do have it figured out, haven't you? Yes, Eve, I have. Sorry it turned out this way, because you had your points as Eve and as Julian. Don't put it in the past tense, Marlowe. As Eve Bentley, my life is just beginning, and now I've got everything I ever wanted as Julia Perry. Then you're Julia Perry. I was, Marlowe. She still is, Whitaker. At least that's what the bailiff will call it in court. There won't be any court, Marlowe. Oh, I'm afraid there will, baby. You're twice a killer now, and both for the same reason, remember? First Ruby, because he saw you as Eve. 
And the girl you pushed out of the hotel window, who was no doubt Anne, your old chum from the hometown. She must have seen you posing as Eve, too. All right, Marlo. Anne ran into me by accident and ruined everything. I had no choice. I promised her money and then told her to go to my room at the Beechwood Plaza and wait for me. Eve, I, I can't believe this. It can't be true. Yes, Marvin, it is true. Darling, I didn't want this mess. I'd have left town this morning as I intended if sweet, sly little Anne hadn't seen me. I tried to get rid of you the easy way, Marlo. When I sent you to Marvin, the Selma Street address he gave you should have led you to the end of Julia Perry. Is that why you phoned me and told me to lie to Marlo? Yes, Marvin. I was going there to write my suicide note and use the stockroom for my disappearing act. But Ruby caught me, and after that I had to work fast. But it's all right now. It all worked out perfectly. They were the only two who knew besides you, Marlo. Aren't you forgetting little Marvin here? Forgetting him? Oh, no, Mr. Marlowe. Marvin's the one person I can count on. That's what you think. You don't get me mixed up in this. Marvin. I bargained for an heiress, not a murderess. Why, you dirty load. All right, then. I'll use this gun on you, too, because I'm getting out of here and no one's going to stop me. But you're right between us, Eve. You can't get us both. He's right, baby. You're not good enough to get us both. And killing just one of us isn't going to solve anything. What do you say? <laughs> it's been a long night, baby. You just couldn't tell when you were <laughs> You want any more of this coffee, Marlowe? No, it's sludge, Lieutenant. I wonder what Julia Perry uses for a heart. You know, she planned the thing for six months when she first set herself up as Eve Bentley. Mm. And it probably would have... Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Probably would have worked if everything hadn't closed in on her. Yeah, a friend Ann from Kansas, Ruby the leg man. And you with that torn book of matches. Mm -hmm. Incidentally, that was pretty fast figuring up in the hotel room there, Marlowe. Oh, not so fast, Ibarra. I knew Eve had those matches because I left them with her. So when you found the same matches in the pocket of Julia's plaid coat, it figured Julia almost had to be Eve. And that left Ann to furnish the body for the suicide. Yeah. You know, I wasn't so sure about that until I found the brown coat with a Haven, Kansas label in Eve's apartment. Yeah. Well, I'd better wait on back to the office, Phil. Look at that rain come down. Think it'll ever stop? I don't know. I doubt it. Oh, by the way, uh, here, it's her hat. Mooney finally got it out off that hotel canopy. Maybe you'd like it for a souvenir. Yeah. The millinery people call it a halo hat. Good night, Marlowe. I sat there a while after Ibarra left, looking at the rain in the street and the cold coffee in front of me and Julia's little round halo on the table. And finally I got up and went outside. Dirty water scudded along the gutter and gurgled thickly into the sewer drain at the corner. For a minute I caught a glimpse again of the girl I'd figured Julia Perry to be when I went through her cottage in Santa Barbara. Yeah, that girl was an angel. But when I finally caught up with her, a halo turned out to be black, jet black, inside and out. I dropped a little hat into the gutter and watched it go as far as the drain at the corner. And then I went home.
The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler, stars Gerald Moore, and is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Joan Banks, Paul Fries, Peter Leed, Jack Prussian, and Lois Corbett. Lieutenant Detective Abar is played by Jeff Corey. The special music was by Richard O'Ron. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... A startled corpse, a blue-eyed woman, and a cryptic message scrawled by a dingy man with the pieces of a Chinese puzzle that wouldn't fit together until I found out what was deadly about the orange dog. Now, another mystery on Mystery Radio X. Listen while the makers of Rexall drug products and 10,000 independent Rexall family druggists bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective. This is Bill Foreman speaking to you for the 10,000 independent druggists who have made the word Rexall part of their own store names. They've done that because they recommend and sell the 2,000 or more drug products made by the Rexall Drug Company. Rexall's brand new multivitamin product, Formula V10, is an excellent example. For Formula V10 is a really pleasant tasting, really easy to take product that helps prevent vitamin and iron deficiencies. The recommended daily dosage supplies twice the minimum requirement of vitamin B1, five times the requirement of iron, plus minimum daily requirements of A, D, and B2, plus red crystalline vitamin B12. Ask for pleasant-tasting formula V10. That's V as in vitamin. V10 at Rexall drugstores everywhere. The stores with the orange and blue sign. Good health to all from Rexall. Now, your Rexall family druggist brings you a transcribed half hour with Richard Diamond, private detective, starring Dick Powell. Is this the Diamond Detective Agency? Uh, what does the sign say on the door? Diamond Detective Agency. Now, read the second line, please. Recommended by good housekeeping. And the last line, please. Homicides delivered at the rear. That's fine. 2020 vision. Now, if you just hop around on one foot while I classify you in 1A, I'll see that you're on the next boat to the Aleutians. Are you Diamond? Are you a prospective client? Yes. I'm Diamond. I charge 100 a day in expenses. Do you ever leave town, Mr. Diamond? Occasionally, but I can never get used to the tar and feathers. I'd like you to go to California with me. Oh, just lonesome, or have you got a problem? I represent a very wealthy man in Hollywood. He has a problem. A very wealthy man, huh? Millions. I'd love to meet him. I'll arrange it. When can you leave? Well, now, that's, uh, that's a bit of a problem. Let's see. Close the office, do some packing, take care of a few uh, <clears throat> engagements. 
It'll take me at least 13 minutes. Uh, four o'clock now. We can leave LaGuardia by five. You have the tickets already? No tickets are necessary, Mr. Diamond. Mr. Harvey's private plane and pilot are standing by. The gentleman's name turned out to be Kane, Fred Kane, from Beverly Hills, California. Obviously, representing a client with more than a cozy income. Private plane, private pilot, and worth millions. How cozy can you get? I called Helen, told her I'd send her a starlit swimming pool or something, and by 5.30, I was riding with Fred Kane in Mr. Harvey's private plane, headed for sunny California. Comfortable? Ah, oh, I haven't seen furnishings like this since I got lost in the men's lounge at the Waldorf. <laughs> Drink? Uh, later. The time has come, the walrus said. To talk of many things. Uh, right. I represent Mr. George L. Harvey. The big motion picture producer? Yeah. He's uh, being blackmailed. Well, I come all the way to New York for me. You've got some pretty good boys in California. Spade, Novak. Of course, they haven't got my blue eyes. GL didn't want any local talent brought in on this case. You're quite well known, even in California. Oh, well, I, I can understand that. Uh, GL thought it'd be a good idea to have an outsider helping him. Someone who wouldn't be recognized. Okay, bless old GL and all his little millions. Now, who's blackmailing him? GL will tell you everything himself when we get to California. Fred Kane and I played Jen for the next couple of hours, and we didn't talk anymore about GL Harvey and his blackmail troubles. By 8.30, we were somewhere over Kansas, and I was getting sleepy, so I turned in. Around 6 the next morning, we landed in Burbank. I stepped out to get my first look at beautiful, wonderful, sunny California. We'll have to run for it. GL will have a car waiting. A car? I'm surprised at GL. I thought sure he'd meet us with his private life raft. The car was waiting all right, complete with chauffeur, footman, and dinghy. We plowed our way through six inches of early morning dew and headed for the Beverly Hills Hotel, where I was supposed to stay. We arrived around seven, got me settled in my room, a tiny little affair that reminded me of a well-decorated roundhouse. Then we had breakfast, and by 10 o'clock, I was standing in the offices of George L. Harvey, Hollywood producer. Uh, glad you're here, Diamond. Have a seat. Ah, thank you. You haven't got an old ringer around you, have you? Nasty weather, isn't it? Mm. It'll clear up. Got to. Can't stay in a cover set all week. Schedule's too tight. Cover set? Uh, GL shooting a new picture. If the company has some unexpected bad weather and they're shooting exteriors, uh, they have a cover set and they can move into and shoot some interior scenes. Oh. You interested in motion pictures, Diamond? Well, I, uh, I, I see a few. Right now, I'm more interested in blackmail, Mr. Harvey. Oh, yes. Well, here's the setup. Fred here introduced me to a girl about a month ago, Mary Conrad. And now she's got you on the hook. Very much on the hook. Pretty girl. No, more than that, beautiful. Brunette, about 5'6". Well, she's... Uh, Beautiful. Uh, we became very, well... Friendly. Yes. Mm. I'm married, Mr. Diamond. My wife doesn't know anything about this. Unless Mary Conrad tells her. Yes, and she's threatened to do just that. Unless you kick through with something. Yes. Money? Yes, 100000 Well, that's a, that's a nice round sum. 
Fred should be more careful about the girls he introduces you to. I had no way of knowing Diamond. I met the girl in Las Vegas. Two weeks later, I met her at a party down here. It was just as much my fault. I saw her with Fred and wanted an introduction. And you got it. A hundred thousand dollar. How do you do? Yes. You uh, want me to get something on her or to get the evidence back? Well, yes. Hmm. So why do you don't get into more trouble, G.L.? You just don't know how to say no. It was pretty obvious that I'd have to meet the blackmailer, so a party was arranged by Fred Kane at G.L.'s beach house and without G.L.'s presence so I could get acquainted with the beautiful Mary Conrad. G.L. gave me a $200 retainer and blushed a little when I kissed him on both cheeks. Then Fred Kane sailed me back to the Beverly Hills where he rented a car for me and told me how to get to the beach home. By 8 o'clock that evening, I was driving down the coast highway on the way to Malibu. I couldn't get over it. The rain had stopped. There was a big yellow moon sitting up in a cloudless sky, and a warm breeze was blowing in off the Pacific. I even put the top down. Hello, Diamond. Come on in. Say, what's with this weather? One minute it's pouring, and the next time it comes out like a travel folder. Uh, we're just getting into the rainy season. It'll probably stay clear like this for at least a week. Oh. Give me your hat, and I'll take you in and introduce you to the guests. Oh, it's what? A New York gumshoe out looking for a blackmailer? Yeah, that's right. You're an agent. Agent? I don't know anything about agents. You like money, don't you? That's my name, spelled backwards. Then you're an agent. It was a small little party. That is, of course, if you compared it to Ebbets Field during a World Series. GL's house was in the middle of what was known as Malibu Colony. That's a bunch of houses built right out on the sand and surrounded by money. Fred took me around and introduced me as an agent from New York and an old friend. I met everything from producers, writers, and directors to several well-known motion picture stars, one of which had her French poodle with her. And this is Michelle, Mr. Diamond. Say hello to Mr. Diamond, Michelle. Oh, oh. Oops, sorry. Great Dane. And on and on until finally we got around to my objective for the evening. And believe me, I'd enlist three times a week just to go after that kind of an objective. Brunette, about five, six. When she looked up at me, I felt as nervous as a cat in a ukulele factory. Hey, this is Mary Conrad, Mr. Diamond, Mary. Hello. Yeah, be Hello. nice to him. He's a big New York agent. I see some other guests now. Uh, take care of them, Mary. <laughs> Looks like Fred has paired us off. Well, he knows a good combination when he sees it. Two best-looking people at the party. <laughs> of course, I'm prettier than you are. <laughs> How long have you known Fred? Fred? Oh, years and years. We used to play stickball together over in Canarsie. Hmm, I thought Fred was a native Californian. Hmm. Well, oh, yes. Well, he, he is. He used to come all the way to New York just for the stickball. We uh, had quite a team. I'll bet you did. What position did you play? I played left gutter. That's the dirty side of the street. Oh. How about a drink, huh? She showed me where the bar was, and we sat down and got acquainted. Then she showed me where the ocean was, and we took off our shoes and walked out on the sand. Then we sat down and really got acquainted. Mm, it's nicer out here. I don't like parties much. Oh, well, I like this one. Compliment? Naturally. Oh, thank you. How long are you going to be in California? Oh, I don't know. It depends. Business? Yeah. You're not having much fun, are you? Oh, sure. I'm having a ball. You're lonesome, aren't you? Like 50 miles of dirt road. Let's leave the party. 
All right. Where to? Well, my car's here, and it wouldn't be good to be seen leaving together. I'll go first, and you follow in about five minutes. You can pick me up at my house. Score for Diamond. She gave me her address and told me how to get there. Then we walked back to the party, and uh, she left. I gave the high sign to Kane, and in five minutes, I followed. Mary Conrad's house was on the outskirts of Beverly Hills, south of Pico. There was a long, low, black sedan, the type of chauffeur usually drives, parked in front of the house. The same car that had picked me up at the airport that morning. And it belonged to G.L. Harvey. Before I could get parked, the door to the little house flew open and old G.L. himself came barreling out like a squirrel with his tail on fire. G.L.? Mr. Harvey! Hey! Mr. Harvey! Here's a question for all overweight women. Would you like to know how to reduce without starving, without counting calories, without back-breaking exercise? Would I? But it isn't possible, is it? It certainly is. With a new Andela Field reducing plan, you lose up to five pounds a week and gain new pep and energy besides. Best of all, you have none of the hunger pangs and bother that most people dread about reducing. The Andela Field reducing plan shows you how to lose weight naturally. Sounds wonderful. What does the plan include? Everything you need to slim you down and keep you slim. Vitamins to bolster your diet. And Delafield appetite-reducing wafers to curb that unruly appetite. And an important, complete beauty book. And here's a tip for all overweight men. Rexall is proud to announce their new Delafield reducing plan for men. It's sound, scientific, and easy. So look young, feel young, stay young for your age. Ask for the Delafield reducing plan for men. Available only at Rexall Drugstores. And now back to tonight's adventure with Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Say, what's it Oh, uh, hello there, Mr. Harvey. Diamond, how did you get into the studio? I went to your home first. My home? You didn't talk to anyone? Your or... car wasn't around, so I tried the studio. The cop at the gate wouldn't let me in, so I climbed a fence. Climbed a fence? It was better than having him call you. You might have wanted to see me. I'd wanted to see you. Don't be foolish. Why not see you? You often come to your offices late at night. Look, Diamond, I saw you when you yelled at me in front of Mary Conrad's house. Why didn't you stop? I was too frightened. I was scared stiff. I suppose you found her. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. Awful. Just awful. I'll bet it was. I thought about going home. I thought about a lot of places. I ended up here. Did you kill her? No, no. Of course I didn't kill her. She called me from Malibu, told me to meet her at her house. I got there before she did. She drove up and we went in. It was just awful. You went in? Then what? She turned her living room light on and there was a shot. She looked kind of surprised and I was too stunned for a minute to really know what had happened. Then she just kind of looked at me like she... Wanted me to help. It was then I really got it. I knew she'd been shot. She fell, and I rushed over to her. She died right there. Lying on the floor, looking up at me like... Like... I, I don't know. There was a gun beside her. Was there? I didn't see it. Well, here it is. Take a look at it. Forty-five. One shot fired. Ever seen it before? No. You know, I could get in a lot of trouble taking this gun from the scene of murder. 
But I had a hunch it was worth it. I thought maybe it might be your gun. If it isn't, I'll get it back to the cops and take my chances. I don't know whether it is or not. Well, do you own a forty-five? Yes, I keep it at the beach house. But even if that turns out to be my gun, Mr. Diamond, I didn't kill Mary Conrad. Oh, I don't think you did either. You might have wanted to kill her because of the blackmail, but that would be premeditated. You'd plan it, and a man who commits a planned killing doesn't leave the murder weapon around, especially if it happens to belong to him. But if you were in love with her... I wasn't. Well, I'm, I'm taking that chance. A jealous lover might do a lot of silly things. I have a wife and family. I thought about that, too. But I'm not sure the police would pay much attention. If the blackmail got out, you'd have a motive. If this gun turns out to be yours, has your fingerprints on it, that would cinch it. What about the police? I called them and got out. You know where the shot came from? I didn't even take time to think about it. I just ran. There was a heavy smell of cordite on the other side of the room near the bedroom. Bedroom door was ajar. Bedroom window was open. Killer probably shot her from the bedroom. You ran. He threw the gun in beside the body. What are we going to do? Well, there's one thing that makes me wonder a little. Mary Conrad asked me to come over to her house, too. What do you suppose she wanted with both of us there? I can't imagine. Well, neither can I. It's certainly worth looking into. Thanks, Diamond. You know, I've had some pretty fair experiences with murder, G.L., but like everybody else, I make mistakes. I hope this is not going to be one of them. I gave G.L. Harvey two instructions. First, find out if he was missing a forty-five automatic. Second, go on about his business like nothing had happened. And forget that he'd known Mary Conrad other than casually. I knew I was taking a big chance. Being an accessory after the fact could land me in a lot of hot water. But G.L. just didn't figure as the killer. And if I was right, someone was trying to fit him for a king-size frame. Why? Who? What was the motive? Those were things I was going to have to find out and find them out in a hurry. So while the police were undoubtedly still busy with an identification on Mary Conrad, I got back in my rented car and took off for Malibu. Yeah, back so soon? Uh, no laughs. You uh, find out anything? Where can we talk? You look like something's wrong. You should see how Mary Conrad looks. Fred Kane took me in the den and we locked out the rest of the party. I told him just what had happened. And he poured himself a long drink. Yeah... You think G.L. really did it? I want to do some checking on Mary Conrad before I start making any guesses. Now, uh, you said you met her in Las Vegas, didn't you? That's right. And then tell me everything you know about her. And he didn't know much. He'd met Mary at the Serena Hotel, just ran into her at a party. He had seen her several times in the following few days, and she had mentioned she was coming down to L.A., so he'd ask her to look him up. She had, and that was the extent of it. What do I tell the police? They'll certainly find out who she's been seeing. It'll take them a while to check. Did she have any other friends? She never mentioned any. You met her at the Serena. Was uh, was she with anyone? I don't remember his name. You remember the date? It was about a month ago, the last few days I was there. Oh, well, okay. I'm going to take a trip to Vegas and see if I can find out anything more. You must really think G.L.'s innocent. Don't you? Well, yes. But he certainly had a motive. Oh, I don't think G.L. would kill anyone for $100,000. The thing I can't figure is why anyone would want to frame him. What could they gain by it? I drove back to Burbank, grabbed a late plane for Las Vegas, and about an hour and a half later, I was checking with the desk clerk at the Serena. 
We went through the lists of guests during the time Fred Kane's last visit. Kane had checked out on the 8th of October. He said he'd met Mary Conrad several days before. I gave the desk clerk her description, but he didn't remember. And she hadn't been registered at the Serena. So I started checking every hotel and motor court in Vegas. Mary Conrad, huh? Yeah, about 5'6", brunette, blue eyes. Mary Conrad. Oh, she didn't register here. Here, take a look for yourself. I kept going, one hotel after another, and no Mary Conrad registered at any of them. But she had to live someplace if she stayed in Las Vegas. Uh, bartender, give me a scotch and water. Hey, you look a little beat, friend. Can I buy you a drink? I just bought one. Hey, uh, I understand you're trying to find Mary Conrad. You know her? Yeah. Well, friend, I'd like to ask you some questions. What's it worth? Depends on how much you know. I know plenty. I will see. What's your name? Not here. You can get a car outside. We'll take a ride. Okay. Information, please. Slid off the stool and led the way out of the hotel and out across the parking lot. This guy knew I was looking for Mary Conrad. How? Had to be tipped off or he'd been tailing me. When he walked in front of me, the little old gun in his hip pocket showed up like a bathing beauty on a gorilla farm. Hey, uh, wait a minute. What's the matter? Where's the car? Huh? Oh, uh, right over there. Mm-hmm. The one with the fat guy behind the wheel? Just a friend. Oh, sure, sure. I think we talk right here. He thought about it for a second, glanced over at his fat friend sitting in the car, then back at me. Here? Right here. Okay. He made up his mind, all right. He grabbed for his right hip pocket and that big gun, but that was as far as he got because I second-guessed him. His friend took off, staying behind a line of parked cars until he was clear of the parking lot and far enough away so I couldn't get in a good shot. I leaned down over the man who had wanted to kill me. He was very dead. Well, I'd held out police evidence in Los Angeles and killed a man in Las Vegas. I was in a spot, and only one lead left. The big fat driver who'd taken off in the car. I went through the dead man's pocket and came up with one thing. A hundred-dollar gambling chip from the Ace of Clubs casino. Oh, uh, how about using that car of yours? Huh? Don't turn around or you'll get mixed up with a lot of bullets. What do you want? A talk. Keep looking straight ahead like nothing was happening. I'll kill you if you try anything. I promise you that. What is this? Who are you? I just shot a friend of yours in the Serena parking lot. I've been in my office all night. Oh, sure. I start walking for the door. You'll never get away with this, Diamond. I thought you didn't know me. Start walking. I own this place, Diamond. My boys are all over the joint. Well, yell for them once and you have a dirty old hole in your pretty coat. Look, you and me can discuss this without getting rough. Out the door and smile. Now, where's the car? Across the street. Now, wait a minute. A couple of your boys are following us. They look a little worried about me. Tell them how happy you are. Go on. Okay, okay. Relax, boys. It's okay. Me and my friend are just talking some business. All right. Cross the street. 
We're going to take a little drive outside of town where we can have some peace and quiet. Just you and me in the desert. That's good enough. Pull off the road. Look, Diamond. Pull off the road. You know, the cops are going to be out looking for you. That's why I need some answers in a hurry. Why did your boy try to kill me tonight? I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of the car. Now, look, I Get swear... out. What's this going to prove, Diamond? You're going to start walking straight out into that desert. At the end of a hundred paces, if you haven't told me what I want to know, you're going to get it. Right in your big, ugly face. You'll never get away with it. Walk. Now, that's the trouble with you big, tough guys. Get a fellow in a spot and you never figure he might just be desperate enough to shoot his way out of it. Why did your boy try to knock me off tonight? I've got a lot of dough, Diamond. I can get you out of the state and make you rich. I'll swear you killed my boy in self-defense. How well do you know Mary Conrad? I've never heard of her. I've held out police evidence in California, and I've shot a man in Nevada. I'm in a tough spot. I'll just about do anything. You kill me, and you'll never find out anything. I'll keep looking. Who else is mixed up in this? How'd you know who I was? I found out. And you're nearly there. You're bluffing. You got 15 paces to go. You'll never get out of town. You kill me and every cop in the state will be after you. You're a big man, huh? I swing a lot of weight. Well, I don't like your kind of big men. Stop here. How about it? Gonna tell me how you're mixed up in this? Now, wait a minute. This is getting ridiculous. It's a matter of opinion. You gonna tell me? Wait, wait. You must be nuts. Supposing I did know something. I tell you, you tell the cops. Maybe I knocked off somebody. I get the gas chamber. Then it shouldn't make any difference to you. This will be a lot quicker. Hmm. What do you want to know? Who's Mary Conrad? My girl. Her real name's Mary Langley. Who killed her? Fred Kane. The guy who works for Jail Harvey. Why? Kane owed me a lot of dough. Couldn't pay it. Jail Harvey was to go to the gas chamber for killing someone... Kane had become head of the Harvey Productions. Why wouldn't Harvey's wife take over? She'd own it, but Jill's will states that Kane would run it. How do you fit? Kane promised me a 50-50 split if I'd lay off about the debt. I talked Mary into it, and Kane introduced her to Harvey. The old boy went for a hook, line, and sinker. Then she started blackmailing him. So he'd have a motive for murder? Yeah. Mm. She never figured she was going to get killed. No, she just thought we were going to milk the old boy for the 100000 and pull out. How did I fit in? Harvey's idea. When Kane told me about it, I, I figured it wouldn't be bad. You could catch Harvey after the murder. Well, why did you make a date with me and then call Harvey? Well, we told her to. Told her you were a private eye working for Harvey's wife. We said that you could be bought and it would be a good idea to catch her with Harvey. So you waited in the bedroom until G.L. came in and you shot her, threw the gun in beside her. Hey, wait a minute. I didn't shoot her. Kane shot her. Oh, Kane took G.L.'s gun from the Malibu house? That's right. Oh, you lame brain. I left Kane at the Malibu house when I went to see Mary. He was there when I got back. Witnesses will swear he was around the whole time. You killed the girl and hopped a plane back here for Vegas. No, no, I didn't kill her. Go over by that rock. Uh, take it easy, Diamond. Go on. Okay. Okay, I shot her. I hid in the bedroom and shot her. But you won't be around to talk about her. Come on, get up. Get up. Oh, for Pete's sake, now I have to carry him back to the car. 
Here at last is a mouthwash that cleans as it sweetens as it deodorizes. It's new triple-acting Rexall mouthwash with chlorophyll. And it's more effective because it combines nature's own breath freshener, chlorophyll, with a foaming action that floats away retained food particles. What's more, a special surface-active ingredient gives Rexall mouthwash with chlorophyll a wider coverage, a deeper penetration. The result? A clean, fresh mouth. A clean, fresh breath for hours. So fresh up with a cooling, minty-flavored mouthwash that cleans as it sweetens, as it deodorizes. Rexall mouthwash with chlorophyll at Rexall drugstores everywhere. Good health to all from Rexall. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, stars Dick Powell in the title role and was written by Blake Edwards with music composed and conducted by Frank Worth. Dick Powell directed the RKO production Split Second, which is now in release. And his latest film appearance was in the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer award-winning The Bad and the Beautiful. Featured in tonight's cast were Junius Matthews, Raymond Burr, Gene Bates, Virginia Gregg, and Wilms Herbert. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Bill Foreman inviting you to be with us next Sunday at this time when Rexall Drug Products again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Join us again next time on Mystery Radio X.